Welcome to Women Working Ahead, the show where working women provide honest insights into their different industries by sharing all the ups, downs, and messy bits in between of their daily lives. I'm your host, Sierra Mercer. everyone. Thank you again for tuning in for another episode of the Women Working Ahead podcast. It's so nice to have you back. Or if you're a new listener, welcome, welcome. I interview different working women every single week so they can share their everyday, day-to-day working stories for you all. And so this week, I'm joined by a very special guest. I'm joined by Amanda Truscott. And I'm so excited to have her on the podcast. She has a very, very interesting career path. I think you guys are going to be really, really interested to hear. So welcome, Amanda. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Sarah. (laughs) It's so great to have you here. And thank you again for taking a block of time out of your very busy schedule to uh, come on the show. I know when I went in and looked at your schedule to try to book this interview, I was kind of like, okay, (laughs) what days is she she available after this time? And there's only a few days in there. And uh, so obviously you have a very full schedule these days. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty. (laughs) pretty jammed. Well, we chatted a little bit before we came on air here that uh, you've been working from home since pretty much the pandemic started, right? Yes, I have. Yeah. And you, you mentioned that you had, you have a separate office at least, so you can kind of mimic, you know, mimic kind of the, the working space or separating the, the working space from, uh, from the kind of the living space, right? Which is really nice. It does help for sure. <laughs> So before we hop in here, do you want to start out by giving just a brief introduction as to who you are, what your role is, and chat a little bit about uh, the, the company that you are the co-founder of? Yeah, so I'm the co-founder and CEO at Rhythmic Solutions. And what we do is we increase uptime in mines with analytics that optimize maintenance, reduce greenhouse gas emissions, and extend the life of mobile mining equipment. Um, So our product is called Asset Health Analyzer, AHA for short, and it leverages a unique AI-enabled approach that works with existing systems and takes into account the extreme variability of mining environments so that users can get early, accurate, and actionable insights. And if that sounds super reversed, it's because it is. Uh, (laughs) It's because I have been doing investor pitches day in and day out um, for the last few months, which is why um, part of of why my calendar is (laughs) Well, listening to that, it definitely sounds, it's, I was like, wow, she must have rehearsed this. This is, wow, this is incredibly uh, fluid. She knows exactly what she's talking about here. Yeah, you have to when you're talking to those guys. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Well, I'm going to pretend that I understood every single word of that um, as we go along, but I will, we will be getting more into kind of the, um, the company and what you guys do. But um, I did notice when I kind of briefly went through the company website. So it looks like, now correct me if I'm wrong on this, that the company is a fairly tech-based company. And yes. your background is very interesting because your background is in English literature and journalism. And when I looked at the, the website and had kind of your team profiles and everything. So you mm-hmm. are one of three co-founders and you all have very different backgrounds. Yeah. So it is a very technical company and it was not my idea. So we'll just (laughs) put that out right at the beginning. Uh, I did not think of it. Uh, I actually got kind of dragged in and then fell in love with it in spite of myself. (laughs) So So when you first started, so you did your 
bachelor's in it is English literature right that you did your that bachelor's was my in? bachelor's yeah right and then you went back for your master's in journalism and so I want to start with those first as kind of my first questions here so first why why journalism at first and while you were going through your post-secondary what was your kind of thought process in terms of what kind of career did you see yourself in at that point so I chose English literature partly at least because of a conversation I had with my dad when we were on a road trip um, because I was trying to when I was in high school I was trying to decide whether I should focus on the arts or focus on sciences because you kind of have to start deciding when mm-hmm. you're in you know grade 11 and 12 which is a bit unfortunate yeah um, and he said well you know what just do what you like the best and it'll work out somehow <laughs> yeah um, so I ended up going more into the arts, not because I I actually loved science. I loved especially biology and geography and the earth sciences. Um, What I didn't love were anything that had equations. So I didn't like chemistry. I didn't really much like math. And I, I loved books more than anything, which is why I went into English literature, because I just, I was obsessed with books. I used to skip class to go home and read novels. (laughs) Oh my gosh. So in that sense, it was kind of a natural place for me to go. And I minored in sociology because I, I just was fascinated by people and, and why they did what they did, but less, less in terms of, you know, what, what their individual motivations were and more mm-hmm. of the macro level. Like, why do people generally do what they do and, and act how they act? So, so that was why I did the bachelor's that I did, but I, um, one of my favorite classes was my geography class, interestingly. <laughs> so then I, I had a bachelor's degree in English literature, which funnily enough does not lead directly to a job. <laughs> <laughs> and I needed one of those. I, I didn't really want to be a waitress forever. So I went into journalism because it was sort of an immediately practical place to go from mm-hmm. English literature, but also because... I really love to write and I thought that would be a way to get paid to write and also a way to build up some life experience that mm-hmm. could feed my writing because coming out of university, I just kind of felt like I had led a pretty sheltered life and hadn't really, you know, I didn't really think I had much to write about at that time. Right. Maybe, maybe I didn't, but I didn't think that I did. And I thought that journalism would help with that. Mm-hmm. So that was why I went in that direction. Of course, I, I zigged and zagged pretty hard after that. <laughs> yes, which we will, we're going to break down here because uh, when I was going through kind of a little bit of your experience and stuff, I'm like, okay, I need to ask her about, wait, how did she get from here to here? We need to, we need to talk about the, the step process between A and B here. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so you started out in more of a traditional, I'm going to say traditional in quotes, journalism career. I, I saw that you worked for CBC, you worked for the Globe and Mail, mm-hmm. and you were writing stories for, for them. Yeah, uh, well, I, I didn't write stories for the CBC. Uh, I was basically just a, a minion. Okay. <laughs> uh, but I did write stories for the Globe and Mail and uh, for Metro and, and for some other publications. The Canadian Medical Association Journal, I, I wrote for them a bit on their oh, news wow. side. Yeah. So a number of quote unquote traditional journalism. Right. And so how did you find, how did you find those, uh, those jobs? I found them quite hard. I'm a pretty sensitive person by nature and there was a lot of really heavy stuff that I had Mm -hmm. to write about. Mm -hmm. Um, 
you know, conflicts, fires. I, I, I had to write one Christmas Eve about uh, a four-year-old girl who died because she rode her toboggan into traffic. Um, oh my gosh. And that was actually the moment when I was like, this is not the career for me. Oh, uh, okay. That, wow. So it was really quite a, it was like a pinpoint, you can pinpoint that moment when you kind of pivoted to this other, this other path that we're about to go on here. Yeah, I was pretty far. So that was my time at the Globe and Mail. That was an internship. And I was pretty far in at that point. I was at least halfway, maybe more than halfway through my journalism degree. So I, you know, I, I was going to finish that degree, but I, at that moment I was like, this is not how I'm going to make my right. living because I will not be happy doing this long term. Okay. I have tremendous respect for journalists. I think it's a very necessary work. It just, mm-hmm. it really wasn't for me. Okay. Yeah. So that's why you kind of change paths a little bit there. And so before that pivot point, um, when you first started out your master's in the journalism, did you at that point expect that you were going to be a journalist or some version of a journalist at that point? Yeah. When I started it, I fully intended to, to work in journalism. You know, my, I, my, my grand plan was I was going to do the master's. I was going to get a good job as a journalist. I was going to do interesting stories for a number of years. And then I was going to take a sabbatical and write my novel. That was my plan. It didn't really work out. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, because then you decided to do that. Journalism wasn't for you. You decided at that point you were going to do j- journalism. So can you walk me through kind of how that pivot and how you changed how you grew from there yeah so I did finish my journalism degree and you know I I did quite well in in the degree itself Mm -hmm. and and in my internships and all of that so that wasn't really the problem but as I said I just wasn't happy so I went to Matricon which was uh, an industrial process software company and I, I applied for a technical writing job because I thought I'm qualified to do this and it's not going to be so soul destroying. (laughs) So initially I was just writing technical manuals, but the great thing about Matricon, and I would recommend that everybody try to get a job at a company like this early in their career is that they would, they really functioned like a startup in a lot of ways. They were a decent sized company, about 500 people, but they had no problem just throwing you into the deep end. And wow. they, you know, if, if you, if they thought that you might be capable of doing something, they would get you to do it. And, and if you had a good idea, they would let you run with it. And they had all kinds of junior people doing things that were way above their pay grade. And I got to be one of those people. So I started out writing technical manuals, but I ended up producing a whole suite of e-learning tools for various industrial process software applications. So pretty technical stuff. Right. Yeah. Cause I mean, you, you are doing, you are using your writing skills that you've learned. So how, how are you writing these technical manuals without really the technical background, I guess, how did you find that adjustment? It was, it was all about collaboration. Uh, and that has very much been the theme of my career since mm-hmm. then, I would say is I, I was not the source of the technical expertise. I was collaborating very closely with technical people who were producing the source material, um, you know, putting together kind of initial documents and then 
I was taking that and massaging the content and then checking with them what I had done at every step of the way, there was always a lot of back and forth mm-hmm. and, and making sure that the things were getting checked and that they were correct. So uh, I was never the source of the technical <laughs> knowledge, but I was, I was packaging it essentially. Right. Right. Yeah. In in that role, I mean, you have to kind of understand to explain it in a way or to um, instruct other people in this software, in this process, you yourself, you have to understand, I'm sure even just a little bit of it. I did have to understand a lot of things that mm-hmm. I never expected to have to understand when I was studying in English and journalism. Yes. <laughs> And from, from your LinkedIn, it also, um, I kind of got the impression that you took on at some point kind of a marketing role, or does that kind of, um, is that kind of in combination of writing um, these manuals and developing this kind of e-learning program? So after Matricon, when I sort of did get more into the kind of training and applying my multimedia skills to the training side of things, I worked for a company called Function Point, which makes project and financial management software for advertising agencies and marketing departments. Okay. And so my job with Function Point initially was just to produce kind of more online training. Some of it was in person, but eventually it was more of a, a consultative type of role where they were sending me to ad agencies and marketing departments, mostly in the US, some in Canada. I got to travel to New Zealand and help them deploy this software in a way that worked with their business processes. So I learned a lot about change management and finding ways to take a set of best practices and fit that into what people are already doing. Mm -hmm. And also about marketing because those were the people that I was working with. And after that, I took a sabbatical, um, did some, some writing on my own for a while, and then Kevin, who I met at Matricon along with our co-founder, Chris, um, Kevin's my life partner. He started Rhythmic and he pulled me in and that kind of started me on where I'm doing. Okay. Okay. Well, that was going to be my next question was how did Rhythmic Solutions kind of come into being? And so how many years has it been since you guys actually started? So we officially started the company in 2018, but the story really does start at Matricon. So Chris, Kevin, and I all used to work there. And Kevin and Chris were two of the key players behind that company's mobile equipment monitor product, which was one of the earliest data collection and reporting systems for mobile mining equipment. So they are the deep technical guys. Like, um, they're the ones who, they were um, traveling to mines all over North and South America deploying these systems. Uh, They were designing and doing all kinds of stuff. Um, They were freezing their fingers on shovels in minus 30 degrees Celsius and getting heat stroke in Kentucky, Arizona and really getting down and dirty with all of this (laughs) stuff. They're in there. Wow. They're there in the action. They were in the middle of the action. Yeah. All over the place and really seeing how many challenges there were with this equipment. So also, both of them had had backgrounds in mining operations as well. After Matricon, Kevin went to tech and he worked at tech resources for mm-hmm. a number of years as part of the real-time systems team. Before Matricon, uh, Chris was at Syncrude for a number of years. And, and they saw 
even once the good data started coming in, because the system that they built, it gave the mines access to really good data. They saw how many challenges there still were with the equipment because it was too much. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, one heavy haul truck might have 150 sensors. And then if you got one person keeping track of 50 of those trucks, they're trying to look through thousands of data points yep. to try to figure out what's going on. And so after tech, Kevin took a sabbatical at the same time that I did, because um, we were together at that point mm-hmm. and we still are. And he took that time to study AI and machine learning. And that was when the light bulb really went off for him, that this was how the companies were actually going to get the value from the data that he and Chris had worked so hard to get for them. Mm-hmm. So he started Rhythmic and, and really applying the algorithms that he found to the problems that he understood were there. Chris also was studying AI. And so Kevin brought him in. He was as excited as Kevin was to finish <laughs> what the two of them had started. Mm-hmm. Um, and someone had to take care of all the arty farty stuff. So that was me. <laughs> ah, so they brought you in to do basically the business management side while they're down in the dirt doing the, the high tech stuff, basically. Is that kind of in very, very high level terms how this works? Roughly, yeah. When I started, it, I was doing, yeah, I didn't start as the CEO. So when we started, the two of them were co-CEOs mm-hmm. and they were also doing a lot of the business stuff. And I was more focused on the admin and the marketing. Okay. Um, but then I got us into Next AI, which is a really amazing kind of high caliber technology accelerator. Mm-hmm. And after that, um, so through Next AI, I had the opportunity to study under business professors from places like MIT and Harvard and Stanford and U of T. And it was a very like intense kind of crash MBA. Okay. Well, can you actually, but yeah, can you actually tell me a little bit more about what that actually is? I've never actually heard of it before. Can you maybe walk me through what that actually is and how you got involved with that? Yeah. So, um, so next AI, basically their mission is to help the most promising new AI companies succeed. Okay. And they have two tracks, a business track and a technical track. I did the business track and Kevin did the technical track and Chris you know, continued to hold things down with our customers, both the both of us did, you know, and yeah, I mean, essentially I just got a really amazing, super compressed business education that happened at the same time as we were building this company. And Kevin got to bounce his ideas off of some of the world's top researchers in Mm -hmm. artificial intelligence. So working with just literally some of the top people like Yashua Bengio is one of the mentors for, for next AI in Montreal here. And he is one of the three kind of godfathers of deep learning. They call Mm -hmm. him. He's one of the top guys in the entire world. Wow. So was this something that you guys kind of enrolled in or how did you guys actually get, you applied? I I applied actually. (laughs) We'll take credit for the application. I did that. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, they get hundreds of applications and then they choose 25 companies or something if if you're in Montreal. And I think they choose a similar number in Toronto. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. So before you did this kind of crash course MBA, I mean, you had obviously some business management skills coming into this already, but did you find that that was really kind of the launch pad and really helped you kind of build this business on the kind of more business management side? Yeah. I mean, it gave me, I I learned a ton through that program and it gave me a ton of confidence in terms of my ability Mm -hmm. to, to be CEO. So after 
after next AI, Kevin and Chris decided that I should be CEO. And oh. I was like, I, I at the t- I still didn't have enough confidence. I was still like, <laughs> are you guys sure? Like, are you high? Like, yeah, <laughs> but not, not that they get high, but I just was like, really? <laughs> are you sure um, about this? Yeah. Because I mean, it, it's, it's a big job. Do you find too, like, are you, do you find that you're still learning like new things every single day, pretty much? Or every do you think day. you've got this every single day? No, okay. No. no, there's never a moment when I'm like, oh, I've got this nailed now. Like the second I feel like I've got things under control, there's some other like massively uncomfortable new mm-hmm. thing that I have to figure out. Um, <laughs> let's say you you're given a task or you have to do something and you just don't know how to do it or where to start. What is kind of your thought process uh, with that to kind of approach these kinds of problems? When I have to do something that I have no idea how to do, I would say my first go-to is who can help me with this? (laughs) I, um, I'm not afraid to ask for help. And I think that has been really important. Mm-hmm. because, and, and that, and that's something actually that relates to some good advice that I got when I first got one of, one of my advisors just said, you know, listen, you don't have to know everything. It's not about knowing everything. It's about getting the right people around you. Mm-hmm. So whenever I find myself faced with something that I just have zero idea how to do, I, I, I mean, I obviously I Google stuff, right? Yeah. Like I don't, <laughs> I don't just immediately, you know, like email some CEO and be like, Hey, how do I do X, Y, Z? But, but for the things that you can't Google, um, and also sometimes to just help sort through the noise that is out there on the internet, I have had the good fortune to have a lot of mentors, really good mentors that, Mm -hmm. that are able to kind of point me in the right direction. And, and so I, I do rely heavily on the advice of very smart and experienced people. Okay. So that's really nice. So you have kind of built this, uh, you have a bit a support network around you at least. So if you are facing something that you just do not know how to approach that you have those people who you can rely on to give you good advice and to kind of lead you a little bit if need be. Yes. And next day I really had a, a huge part to play in that as well. Cause they, they gave us the initial kind of entry into a lot of the mm-hmm. networks that we're now a part of. Okay. Um, but even before that, before we moved to Montreal, we were part of something called the Venture Acceleration Program in British Columbia. So there are programs for people who are starting companies, basically wherever you are. Um, and you know, some of them are these fancy technology accelerators that what we did, but there's also like provincially funded ones uh, mm-hmm. pretty much all over the country. And, and those are really good entry points to find these sorts of people. Mm-hmm. Well, it gets your foot in the door a little bit, opens up those doors and gets you introduced to all the right people that uh, you likely need maybe down the road sometime. Yeah. And if not the exact right people, then people who can tell you how to find the right Yeah, people. exactly. There you go. There you go. Yeah. You start building that network. Um, and so I'm curious too, was there ever a point where an idea or a direction just did not for the company didn't work out? Or was there ever a point where you were like, what have I got myself into? Yeah, all the time. <laughs> um, and that I think was the hardest thing about transitioning from journalism to being an entrepreneur is that in journalism, when you make mistakes, 
it's a big problem. Like even in journalism school, we used to, we'd get an F if we misspelled someone's name on a story. Like you do not make mistakes. It is not okay. Mm -hmm. If you make mistakes, it's really bad. But as an entrepreneur, you have to make mistakes. You make mistakes. That's how, because you're, you're in uncharted territory. You know, Mm -hmm. if you're just treading all of the paths that everyone has treaded before, then you're going to make something that other people have made before and it's going to be pointless. So mm-hmm. the, the nature of the beast is that you're constantly making mistakes and then course correcting and learning and changing. So I had to really get to a place where I was like, mistakes are good. Repeating mistakes is bad, but, <laughs> but making them, you know, that means I'm learning. That means I'm, I'm doing what I need to do and we're doing what we need to do. So mm-hmm. It's just part of the game. I got to make lots of mistakes. And so what would you find, would you say that that was probably the most challenging thing of your role now? Or do you have any other things that you you're really trying to work on here? Yeah, I think, cause I mean, it's not fun making mistakes and <laughs> being able to, you know, pick yourself up when, when something doesn't work out over and over and over again, that, that can't, I mean, things do work out of course too, right? Like, yeah, yeah. it's yeah. just that as humans, I think it's typical to put more attention on the things that don't work out. Mm-hmm. Um, so finding a way to kind of stay balanced and steady in the midst of the roller coaster is yeah. something that I am, I think only now just starting to really get good at. And Right when the pandemic hits, of course, you start getting yeah. used to things and the pandemic happens and shakes everything up again. Well, you know what? Honestly, I think the pandemic has had something to do with it because it increased those up and downs so much, you know, like because of what we had all of these beautiful plans, we had all of these deals that were about to happen. You know, mm-hmm. there was and, and there was so much pivoting that we had to do just from a, a business standpoint and our go to market and sales strategy and all of that. We had to really rethink a lot of things. And doing that over and over and over again, I think after a while, you just get to a sense of equilibrium about it. It's just like, okay, we're doing this now. (laughs) Um, Which is not to say that, you know, we don't, we're not also working within a longer term plan, but it's just. Well, I feel like you must, I mean, with all these kind of, with these more extremes up and downs and, and whatnot, I feel, do you feel kind of like, you know, if I can get through this, I can get through kind of anything I can handle these yes. up, these smaller ups and downs in the future. Cause I've already gone through all of these, all of these changes. I think mm-hmm. I'm pretty much good for the future. Yeah. Yeah. You get a lot of practice at um, <laughs> dealing with things. Yep. And so I'm curious, so your role specifically now, what is, can you walk me through like what kind of your key responsibilities are? I mean, how often are you doing kind of marketing work? How often are you speaking directly to investors? Walk me through a kind of a, a general list of what your responsibilities are. So lately it's been really heavily weighted on the fundraising side because mm-hmm. um, we're, we're raising a round of investment right now. We're working towards closing that. So that has been taking up a lot of my time. Um, but marketing is, is still a lot of what I do. Um, I help with sales, although we do, we do have people helping us with that now. Um, but I'm kind of the, the main point person for them. Mm-hmm. And keeping morale up, you know, yeah. <laughs> changes you know amidst the victories amidst the defeats interestingly I would say that communication is the main part of my job so in that sense my initial training did end up being actually a really good starting point for for where I've ended up here because 
so much of what you have to do as CEO is just tell the story of the company mm-hmm. and find ways to get people excited about it and mm-hmm. connect with people and relate to people. And, and all of that is stuff that, that my education did help with. Mm-hmm. So that's still, it's still very much a big part of what I do. You know, you are, you are using the skills that you, even though you're not in a traditional quote unquote, traditional journalism field now you are still using those skills because I was going to ask you whether like did you feel like you wished you'd gone back to school for like a like an MBA or more of a traditional business degree no no not at all uh no I mean I think in many ways the education that I've had especially through Next AI and and the other technology accelerators that we've been a part of Mm -hmm. has actually been perfect in a lot of ways. And which is not to say there aren't gaps in my knowledge, right? Like I don't Mm -hmm. have a finance background, for example, but what I do have are people around me who do have that. Right. So no, I think everything ended up being useful and it's kind of amazing because (laughs) it's so apparently unrelated. Mm -hmm. Well, in, in a very direct sense, it seems like it's very unrelated, but it's really interesting that you are you, I mean, you're, you've built these skills and now you, you're using them still in your daily life, right? And it kind of gave you a bit of a, especially on the communication side, like you said, you find that you're really those, that background in the journalism and the sociology and English literature, you find that it's really given you a bit of a boost in that. In that area. Yeah, I would say so, because there's a lot of, you know, gathering of disparate sources of information and synthesizing all of that information and then finding ways to share it that makes sense. And, you know, that's all stuff that I, that I did in school that I'm still having to do. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, before we, we, before we wrap up here, I'm just watching the time. Um, I, I just thought of this and I'm really curious actually what your opinion is. What, I mean, you've now been in this kind of mining in the mining industry. You've been involved in the mining industry for a few years now. And I'm curious, mm-hmm. what is your take on the the mining industry in general? It's fascinating. It's <laughs> absolutely fascinating. I, yeah, I, like I was saying earlier, I, I sort of surprised myself by falling in love with it for a number of reasons. One, because it's so complex, right? It's so mm-hmm. complex and so variable and you never run out of things to learn. Never. I mean, there's just so many, both literal and figurative moving parts Um, Mm -hmm. and interesting things, not just from a technical perspective, but uh, from a cultural perspective. So many challenges when it comes to people and teams working together and finding ways to solve human resources challenges. And I mean, there's just so much happening and and it's changing now too, in, Mm -hmm. in ways that are really interesting and challenging for a lot of people but also exciting and and I think it's it's really fun to be a part of that <laughs> well have you actually uh, have you have you been to you've been to a mining site oh yeah yeah, yeah? For sure. okay yeah <laughs> well I don't I don't actually but know. I haven't I haven't like performed I mean kept I haven't performed literal like mining work on a mining site yeah <laughs> well you've been you visited the sites you see how they work yeah. I've been I've been to some yeah but, but yeah, Kevin and Chris are the ones who have the real mining cred. So I, <laughs> well, I rely. On yeah, that. I mean, it's, it's a really actually exciting time for mining because there are so many great technical technological advances that are happening right now. And, you know, it's companies like Rhythmic Solutions that are really changing the game 
for mining and uh you know we're, we're getting all these new technologies all the time testing out all these new things and it's really really exciting to be kind of at this forefront because i feel like mining in particular there's this idea that people just assume that you know mining is this very archaic kind of um you know process and people are still going down with oil lamps and rock hammers mm-hmm. or something but it's really really interesting with all these new technologies and it's so exciting to hear about all the different, these different companies that are bringing these new technologies to, to mining. So I think we're going to wrap up here. So I want to chat briefly. So you, I know you mentioned this previously that you were doing some writing alongside kind of your career and your, you know, working day job and whatnot. And you also took a sabbatical, you were doing some writing. And so tell me a little bit about and I mentioned on your on your LinkedIn that you were doing some blogging. You're also a published author. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah. So after journalism, I actually found an, another of the surprises there was that. So I thought that I was going to have an easier time creative writing after journalism school mm-hmm. because I would have all this experience. But actually, I found that I I got totally blocked creatively after journalism school. Yeah. Um, I don't want to, you know, blame anyone for that. (laughs) It relates (laughs) to, you know, my interpretations of various things that happened, but I I had a hard time writing. And so I kind of embarked on this multi-year research project about the creative process and, you know, did a lot of reading and interviewing and all of that to try to figure out how to get unblocked creatively myself. Um, Mm -hmm. And I did manage it, you know, I did get to a place where I was able to write creatively in all different kinds of ways, fiction, nonfiction, whatever. And so I wrote a book about that, about both my experience of becoming unblocked creatively and also pulling together all of the research that I went through Mm -hmm. in that process. Um, And I actually self-published that book. I didn't even try to get it published conventionally. If I had it to do over, I I would Mm -hmm. publish it conventionally because I, I see the value in getting other people to do, you know, the editing and the marketing. (laughs) Well, it just takes Um, a little bit of pressure, a little bit of work off of, uh, off of you. It's a lot easier. Something I discovered about marketing is it's a lot easier to market other people's work than it is to market your own work. Mm -hmm. So I've had a super easy time marketing Rhythmic. I had a really hard time marketing my own book. I did a terrible job at it and I completely failed. Uh, I think I sold like 50 copies or something like that. And then once I got into doing all the rhythmic stuff, I got so busy that I just didn't have, I, I, I stopped kind of maintaining the site and all of that. I let my URL go and um, someone, I guess there are sites that do this. Someone snapped it up immediately and turned it into a phishing site. Oh no. So there were all this link, all these links in the book that went to my site, which is now a phishing site. Oh no. So uh, I really didn't want anyone to go there. So I unpublished it. Oh. And so that's why it's not available. Okay. Uh, however, uh, you know, I think I've been forced through the work that I've been doing with this company over the last couple of years to, there needs to be another, you know, when you say like someone's got balls, I feel like I've kind of grown balls, but I'm yep. also kind of offended by that term. So <laughs> um, for whatever, you know, I, I feel like I've grown a set of ovaries for, the, for lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. And I think I, I would do a better job at, at marketing something 
now that I were to write. And, mm-hmm. and also I've learned a lot about the creative process through being an entrepreneur because right. they're so related in so many ways. When you're building something, it's so scary. It's so vulnerable. It's, it's a journey. And so mm-hmm. I think one day I will write about that in a more holistic way mm-hmm. and um, probably publish that in a more conventional way. In the meantime, that work is on the back burner and I'm 100% focused on this. Yes. Well, clearly you're very, very busy, but please, oh my gosh, if you end up publishing a book, let me know. And I will send out all the links. I will send out all of the materials for all of our listeners so that they can uh, pick that up. Cause I know I would be very, very curious to, uh, to read about all your experience and all and learn about all the different research that you've done anyway. So I think we're going to wrap up anyway. Thank you again, Amanda. This was so, so great. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking time out of your very busy schedule. Anybody wants to reach out to you. I will leave your uh, LinkedIn link over on the women working ahead social medias. Once I announce this episode, I'll also leave it in the show notes. So if you guys want to reach out to Amanda and with any follow-up questions, um, I'm sure you're happy to um, answer any of those. Yeah, for sure. Happy to, uh, happy to help other gals. <laughs> we all got to support each other in, uh, yeah. in this field for sure. So I'll definitely leave all of her contact info there. So go check that out. And as always guys, if you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe to the show, leave a rating and review, and please share with friends and family. If you think that they would enjoy this show as well. And I think that's everything. Thank you again, Amanda. And we will chat soon. Everybody.